0: Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. We are live for another deep dive and it is uh, Friday sometime in America. What time is it where you are, Armando? It's two o'clock here two o'clock in,
1: in, Indiana, in Indiana,
0: flyover. Country. Eastern time, which makes it 11 a.m. Pacific. You know what time it is where you are. You don't need me to fucking tell you. It is 6 a.m. here in Melbourne, Australia. We moved this a little bit later because it's 6 a.m. here in Melbourne, Australia, and I just didn't want to get up at four in the morning, to be totally honest with you. So that was a bit selfish, and I don't apologize. I'm here with Armando That's from good. Creative Works. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing extremely well.
0: Extremely well. You are always doing well. You have one of the best attitudes of anybody I know in this business. And I love I love your energy and I love being around you.
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah. look, we're in the business of selling fun and selling, you know, parties and events and just enjoyable experiences. How could you not be in a good mood when you work it, in this industry?
0: You know, look, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that, you know, I post sometimes for those of you that follow me on Facebook, you'll Every once in a while I'll post something a bit what I consider inspirational to me and and you know it's, and I recently I post something about playing light, you know that we take things really seriously, we get caught up in the seriousness of what we're doing and and that's a mindset and uh, I try to remind I try to remind people that you know life really can just be a game if you decide to play it that way and so yeah, we're in the games business, so why not play it the whole thing as a game right exactly that's exactly right so thank you for joining me and joining us. So let's jump in, man. Let's just talk about the beginning, like Creative Works. Who are you and where do you come from? Like, you guys have a deep history in this industry. Talk a little bit about the background.
1: Yeah. So, my partner, Jeff Schilling, started the company 21 years ago. I'll be 22 years old this year. And it started with LaserTech, right? That's where we grew up in, so to speak, and cut our teeth. Just this idea that we could create a better environment. And then uh, in 2001, he actually built. The location that uh, I ran for six years, so we had a relationship just from uh, me being involved uh, at the early stages. And as you know, life—you get older, you get married, you want to move on and have kids and whatnot. He goes, you know, you you just know too much, and you you've got this great personality, this great experience, kind of like what you talked about. He's like, come do something for me. I don't know what you're going to do. He's like, I literally have no idea what job you're going to be in but come work for me and we'll figure it out. And so, you know, that was in 2008. And I've been here, you know, throughout that time. And a couple of years ago, then uh, became his partner and, and joined the company on an ownership level.
0: Awesome. And I think Jeff worked, he actually ran one of my laser tag arenas back in the 90s. And so Jeff and I go way, way back. And then I kind of ducked out of the business and came back in. And by then you guys were a huge force in the laser tag business. And so-
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: And then, just over the years, as we've grown and as the industry has evolved and, and technologies have evolved, we've added other things. You know, we've we do mini golf, escape rooms. You know, obviously, virtual reality, laser mazes, mixed reality. We're getting into, and I know we're going to talk about some of that, you know, later. But that's just how it's evolved over time and and kind of where we've gotten back to. And I think the biggest thing about you know us that's made us unique on that journey is that because so many of us do have an operational background. Right. We just have a different perspective. Right. And we look at it differently because, you know, I've spent six years knowing what it's like to have 30 birthday parties on a weekend day and how that chaos has to flow, you know, throughout your facility. And that's something
0: that I find a lot of companies coming into the VR space from a software background, consumer games background that don't really understand the market because they've never been in Mm -hmm. it. They've never run a family entertainment center or a retail business of any kind that they just underestimate what it takes from the operator's perspective and they don't have that empathy that they need to build a solution that works you know i tell people hell hath no fury like a birthday party mom scorned oh yeah and um you know i remember when i started Laserstorm, and we installed our first location at funplex bob chattos place back in littleton colorado and you know we had you know lead acid batteries hooked up to car chargers to be able to charge them right this is like in 1989 And the batteries would die and the shit was held together literally with duct tape and crazy glue. And, you know, we would run late on a Saturday afternoon when we had 20 birthday parties booked up and we'd run two hours late. And, man, you want to talk about stress and hell behind the counter with angry moms and impatient kids. Yeah, it's really stressful. And that's the thing that I just don't think a lot of solution providers coming into this industry Like, they should all go work as a party host.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, very much so. I mean, it's one of those things is, and this is a great point, is you can look at a product and you can be like, hey, that looks really good and and I visited this place. But if you don't understand why it was designed in a certain way or what its real purpose and what those things behind the scenes are that you're talking about, then you're going to miss something, right? Or you're going to miss that because you're designing in, a, in only a design office. Yep. Right. Yeah. In a, a sterile environment.
0: And, and I'll give you guys a, a really good example. And I don't I hate calling people out, but it's going to get out there eventually anyway. So there's a company out of Russia called Platforma VR. And they were mm-hmm. at IAPA and they had some technical issues at IAPA because of Wi-Fi. That happens to everybody, right? I mean, the first time. By the way, if you're going to a trade show and you're planning on using Wi-Fi for a live demo, call me, but these guys, you know, they struggled, they got a location at Bally's. They made a big announcement for Las Vegas. They did a demo at CES. It was a bit rough. I kind of warned them that I didn't think they were ready for prime time. And they were like, yeah, but it's working in Russia. And, you know, and there's also this first site syndrome, right, where, you know, you open your first site in your backyard. And it works and you're there all the time as a as an owner or a founder. And it does really well. And we'd had this at Funplex, our very first location, was probably our best performing ROI location out of 230 locations that we built, right? Right. And zero latency in Melbourne, same thing. That t- first location in Melbourne has done. It's a bit it's a bit of a unicorn. And these guys opened to Bally's, which is fucking Broadway, man. That's prime time. And they just got Mm -hmm. yanked out because they just weren't ready. And the operator underestimated what it was going to take, too. Here's an experienced operator getting into VR. He runs a couple of businesses there at Bally's. He runs the Bodies exhibit, which is a pretty big franchise, right, which is like a museum, a touring thing. And then he runs an escape, a horror escape room. And he, you know, how hard can VR be? And I met with him before, and I said, dude, you might be in over your head. Call me no, 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 no. I got this. And the whole thing was a fucking shit show and they wound up getting yanked out by valleys. And so, yeah. So anyway, if you're not ready, you're not ready and you got to have some self-awareness to that. I don't know how we got off on that rat hole. Sorry. So let's get back no, to I you.
1: About Just that idea of of having that experience, being in that operation side and, and making sure that you're accounting for the operator's perspective and the throughput and what the customers are going to put your product through when you're designing it, You know, yeah. whatever that product is, whether it's for an entertainment center or not, Because, you know, like you said, if we bring up IAPA and and you even take the Wi-Fi issues that some people had aside, there were a lot of functional issues far beyond Wi-Fi on some products there. You know, VR and otherwise, where if you can't make it through a four day trade show without having major malfunctions or downtime, how on earth are you going to make it through, you know, weekends and weekends back to back with thousands of people touching your product?
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And companies go to shows all the time and then they make excuses or they're just, that's the other thing I see too. And and we're off on a bit of a, but this, I think this goes to your experience. And one of the reasons that I brought some of my clients to you guys, because I know you get this, is there's this idea of working. What's the definition of working in this industry? And if you come from a software background or a technical background, and basically you're delivering a stack, right? You've got hardware, Mm -hmm. you've got software, you've got effects, you've got all of this stuff. But the operator is buying a product, (laughs) and if one piece of the stack isn't working from your perspective, you might just say, oh, yeah, well, that piece of the stack isn't working, but everything else is functioning okay, and think that it's a 2% issue where the operator is saying, oh, my product isn't working right. It's broken. And that disconnect is one of the biggest ones that I see in the industry for solution providers. Talk about that.
1: Well, I think, and I can't believe I'm going to give them kudos because I'm definitely much more the, I like the technical and the the customization that goes with an Android phone, but it goes to the Apple premise, right? Why has Apple been so successful with their product? And it's because it works, right? You give up certain amounts of bells and whistles at times and freedom at times, because in a functional environment, it just works. And it doesn't require the same level of technical know-how that maybe Android did, at least in the early days, let's say of Android, they've obviously gotten a lot better. But the same thing is now going to apply to your product when you're developing it is you are trying to create this this product, you know, this VR concept that is going to just work. It's got to be able to work on that Saturday from the time the venue opens at 10 a.m. until they close at 2 a.m. or whatever their hours happen to be.
0: Yeah. So Mark Minster says, what is this and why am I watching? And I love, that's a (laughs) great question. And so for those of you that are new to this, what I do each week is I find somebody who's doing what I think is interesting work or amazing work in the VR, location-based VR space, or VR in general. We're going to start expanding the speaker list a little bit, and so we're going to get into here right now. We're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about how to take products to market, essentially. And so Armando is one of the works for Creative Works, which has expanded their reach into really becoming a really good, what I'm going to call a value-added reseller, because okay. as opposed to a distributor like somebody like Bet Center Player One, where they take a product and they connect the product to the market from a sales standpoint and maybe support and service, you, know, you guys take products that sometimes are. 80 or 90% ready for market, and then you take your experience and add them and finish them and then bring them to market. And then you also do manufacturing or assembly. And so you're taking core technology that might not be ready to market and finishing it and packaging it in a way that is magic. And I think that for operators that are either looking at products, we're going to get into some kind of selection criteria. What do you look for if you're not experienced with VR? And then we'll talk a little bit about if you're a solution provider, like what are you probably missing? And so some of those, and we'll use some of the use cases of products you've brought to market. And let's just start with HoloGate. So 2017 EAS, you went to the Euro Attraction Show and you saw a HoloGate. What did you see there? What did you think? And what did you know was missing when you saw that product?
1: So to give you a little perspective on that, so we had been looking to enter into the VR market for about a year prior to going to EAS and creating a relationship with Hologate. And a lot of that actually, if we go back to that 2016 IAPA is because of you and what was happening in the marketplace with zero latency, right? We saw it was a good product that had some potential and we wanted to see, you know, what other things were out there? Did we want to try and develop something in-house? Did we want to do, like you said, find a product that was part of the way there and help it get the rest of the way? And what were those things that we were looking for? But at the same time, we wanted to take our spin, our experience, and what were the things that we didn't like about the offerings that were there, you know, zero latency or otherwise. And so that kind of sets up that premise. And we had gone and viewed dozens of different products, you know, at that time. And we went to EAS and we just happened to be walking by and they had a two-player setup. So it wasn't even their full functioning piece. And I don't know if this is just a difference in, European culture from like a trade show standpoint, but like these guys are like lounging on couches and just like you know much more <laughs> notch one compared to you know what we're used to seeing at you know somewhere like uh, IAPA here in North America. And that was my first EAS, you know, that I'd ever been to, and it wasn't specific to just Halloween. I mean, that's kind of how you know some of the different places were. But the biggest thing that really attracted us to it is that it solved a problem that we had not seen anybody else really fully solve, And it's, they really designed the attraction with a little bit of sex appeal, right? With, With an attractiveness that we really hadn't seen. And with some openness that, again, we really hadn't seen, you know, of other products that we had tested in the market. And it, it still needed a lot of polish. Don't get me wrong, you know, things that, you know, cable management, where you put certain pieces, adding lighting effects, a lot of things like that. But it was the most complete product from that standpoint that we had, you know, remotely come across to that point when we, you know, first saw Life and Robert at, at EAS.
0: And so when you saw it though, like I know you knew that there was work that had to be done, right? So you saw it and it was, you know, just Coincidentally, like, so you saw it and I told them to look for you guys. Cause I thought right away, like, cause I was doing some work with them at the time. on go to market strategy, you know, and they were like, well, how do we get this to market? And I'm like, you guys are not prepared to sell this into the amusement industry. You need a partner, you need a distributor. Right. Mm-hmm. And you guys were the first ones that came to mind. And so when you saw it, what did you have to do? What was lacking? And think about somebody who's watching this, maybe that thinks they have a product that's ready for market. Right. And it's the 20%, 10% that's the difference between a shitty show and a great show. And you guys had a great show at IAPA. So what was that 10 or 20% from your perspective?
1: So, For example, um, an easy thing that we've seen and that I alluded to was cable management. You know, there were certain parts of it that they got right and other parts of it they got wrong. One Mm. thing that I think Halligate has done better than anybody else has been how we've engineered and it's evolved over time the cable management for the actual tether right to the headset making sure that you know you're not strangling or or providing the opportunity for your guests to get strangled uh, so to speak by the cord as they're getting you know immersed in the experience and running around but you know how they have their computers they were looking at it from a this is a cool techie kind of a thing they were looking at it from that perspective of you know I'm a computer gamer robert's background is in esports himself you know, he's, he's a rather celebrity in certain circles from that standpoint. And they were looking at it from that factor. But then I was like, what do we need to adjust for cleaning this up? So it's got a finished look so that it could go into a place like what we did originally right away to a place like Andretti's. Right. Yeah. If, if I'm going to have to put this into a high end, nice looking facility, what does it need to look like? What does it need to do? that needs to be a little bit different and and how do we just dress up those little details? So it it was more than just the interactive lights that were part of the game, but how do I compete with the other arcade pieces, right? Every hundred piece arcade that they have has millions of LED lights in it, right? And they're flashing and there's noise and there's all these things just grabbing for everybody's attention. And So one of the first things we did is we need to add 12 more special effect lights to this, right? We need to dress up the coloration on the components. You know, we need to have a better user interface that isn't just a tablet that yeah. is able to be broken or accessed, you know, by somebody, or or as simple as I can't tell you how many products that we looked at before or even that are still out there where I have access to unplug things. How is that even possible? you know, in a retail environment that I could unplug your system. Because can
0: to way. deconstruct stuff and put it back together, right? What happens if I pull yeah. this cable?
1: Yeah. Yeah, because what's going to happen is like you said, then all of a sudden you have, you know, the operator who's like, you know, this doesn't work. Well, it's because they unplugged the monitor, right, or they turned it off, right? Even preventing them from having access to the power button, you know, is, is something relatively simple that needs to be thought through from that standpoint. And that we really drove home And then we got to play it. Right. I mean, that was one of the first things that that makes a huge difference when we got to play it that first time. And I was there with my wife and who knows nothing. She's never done VR before. Right. So that was actually her first time doing VR was at EAS. And we tried out half a dozen or so other products as well with Hallowgate and just her reaction as that mom, as that, you know, borderline millennial. To Hollowgate compared to others, we already knew there was a difference because you have to realize that in a lot of entertainment venues, it's mom that's making the purchasing decisions to go to a venue. And so you need something that's gonna appeal to both genders, you know, from a demographic standpoint. And the fact that she enjoyed it was awesome. And then I think the most interesting part, as we were evaluating them and still another company at the time, was watching somebody in a wheelchair play. In having video of that and the fact that somebody with a disability was able to come up, play, completely just smiles, having a good time, giggling out of that, we knew that it, it had something and we just had to help them, you know, make those little bit of tweaks to get it, you know, like you said, across the finish line.
0: It's really interesting. I don't know that accessibility is something we talk about enough in the industry. And a guy at the Blue Loop conference in Amsterdam recently did a whole session around accessibility or lack thereof and lack of empathy for people that are challenged as far as being able to get in and out of attractions or around family entertainment centers and stuff like that. And I think oftentimes as operators, we're focused or, or solution providers focused on meeting the letter of the law without actually thinking about what is it like for these people, because, you know, technically it's a small percentage of the market and you tend to design things for the bulk of the market. So it's a really good point. I'm glad to hear you talk about that. That's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.